And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning and welcome, welcome to We Are Just, we are just Christians. Christians. Thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. We'll be on the air until 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time here. Hope you can join us uh, for the show by either listening or calling in. Hope you can stay with us. It's a live call-in show, and we'll give you the numbers in just a moment, how you can reach us both by phone and by text here on, w- on We Are Just Christians. And my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher. I'm one of the elders of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. Gary's the other elder here, co-host. You know, we're, we're on opposite Joel Osteen on the cable. Oh, are we? Opposite yes. Joel Osteen? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's he suffering come, he from that. He comes on at 10 o'clock. No, I mean 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. He's suffering from that competition, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's. I'm sure he's looking into that, why his ratings are dipping so much. much. In competition with this show, but uh, we're we're glad we can be with you. And we try to present here each week just some basic ideas, commentary on being just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination. And part of that involves things we talk about, and it involves your questions or comments that spur us to have a a, a certain worldview that leads us back to to uh, to the scriptures. We believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and we think we can support that proposition. We'd be glad to talk with you about that. Everybody has their own presuppositions, and the people who say they don't have presuppositions are the one you really, the ones you really ought to worry about because they don't really even understand uh, what they what they believe. But we all have our own understanding, and hopefully you can support your basic beliefs, things that are behind the things you say, with both scripture and reason. And we try to do the same thing here. So if you call in, we're going to give you that that perspective on things. Call that, in with a that, comment or a question. Yeah, that presupposition of ours is is pretty well expressed in John twelve forty eight. I got to get it in, Mike. All right. John twelve forty eight. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's our presupposition. That right. What we will be judged on the last day is what Jesus has spoken. And what he spoke through his apostles. Right. There's a lot there, a lot, lot there to unpack, which we try from time to time. But that's the perspective. So when you call in with a comment or question, uh, we'll try to respond to that based on what the scriptures say. So we're going to give you some Bible verses to look up for you to consider for yourself. We always point in religion people back to what the Bible says. So we're not here to defend different man-made churches and denominations or creeds or catechisms or or what people have done or what some church has done. We're going to defend what the scriptures say is in a plain, open way in a, of interpretation, not some veiled specialist interpretation of language. And, and uh, hopefully you can get on board with that. You can see what we're doing when we try to give you those uh, scripture references. So whatever is on your mind, it can be things of a personal nature, uh, that you're dealing with. It could be things that you've run into, problems. It could be criticisms you've got about religious people or the church or doctrines that are taught, questions you've got had about the Bible or religious things or whatever else it may things going on in the culture that you'd like to know. Well, how does that relate to what, what Jesus said? We'll be glad to talk with you about that. You can reach us on We Are Just Christians at 772-260-6120. 772 I got that all wrong. Gary didn't even correct me. <laughs> no, I was reading that, something the, else. That's the morning. text number. Let me give you the phone number to reach WPSL, the call-in line, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. I'm sitting here looking at my phone, making sure we don't have any messages coming in and giving you the wrong number. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us here. Uh, in in Port St. Lucie. Well, that's what I that's, that's what I get, number. Mike, for thinking about what you I should s- not be, be thinking. Be that's attention. what you get for thinking. Yeah, you should be paying attention, Gary. But to what I'm saying, see? but basically, what I saw on television this morning on the cable before Joel Osteen comes on is uh, one of these guys was talking about his father wanting to become a Christian, and his father said, "What must I do to become a Christian?" And he said, "Pray." Really. 
Yes, and he said, pray for Jesus to come into your heart. And it just brought this scripture to my mind. If you will with me, turn to Acts 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. Peter's just preached a sermon about who Jesus is, and the Jews that are there with him, this is 2,000 years ago, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Sounds like the same question. Yeah, what might. shall we do to be saved, right? Yep. And what was Peter's reply? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, Gary, uh, so, you, so that was a totally different answer, and that's where Mike and I are coming are, from. We're looking for answers <laughs> from the Bible. Are you saying that Joel Osteen did not give a Bible well, it, answer it to wasn't, a question? It wasn't Joel Osteen. It was uh, another guy. Oh, the other person. Okay. No, one another All right. guy. So. Yeah, well, but and, I'm and, not sure how Joel Osteen would answer that we, question. We want you all to at least – we want to plant this idea. We're not saying – that we know everything. I know that I know it may sound like that. That is obviously not what we're saying. And if you know that, that thus you would realize that. But we are saying that we can go to the scriptures and find an answer and a beginning point to find the correct answer. And that's why we give you different scriptures. And a plain reading of those will direct your script. But but if you sit sit there and assume that because you go to a church and they've been around a long time that they are looking at the Bible and they're going to give you a Bible answer. I'm telling you, my friends, you're you're assuming incorrectly. They will they do not give you the Bible answer. Oftentimes, they've got a creed book and a catechism, and for various reasons, it doesn't reflect all that the Bible says about a subject. So, if you want to talk about that or any other question, seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. Before we go to the phone. Uh, we got a phone call, but before we go there, let me give you the text numbers. You can reach us by text message, and that's easier for some people. Two text numbers. One is mine. Mike's is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. So in any case, uh, yeah, someone texted, and let me see if I can get Joel Osteen on the air to talk to you. Yeah, that'll be fine. I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm sure he's a very nice person. So in any event, whether we disagree or agree, but um, uh, quoting scriptures in context and accurately, I don't think that's his specialty. Well, uh, I just, I just, in, just in my, in my, ob, in my humble observation of things, it just impressed me as I was watching that that here was a man asking a question to a man who basically professes to know what God says, and yet there was the same question answered in the Bible, and he didn't give that Bible answer. No, he could have given the Bible answer. He could have given the Bible. And even explained why he doesn't agree with it or doesn't think it's a full answer. He could have done that, at least start there, but that not even that. Well, uh, and I didn't hear it, so I'm assuming from what you're saying. Yeah, somebody texted in, uh, Joel is on his jet, and that's why he can't hear respond to you. So, <laughs> And that may be. Uh, or he's trying to beat Kenneth Copeland on his onto his jet. A- anyway, uh, yeah, those interesting things. Um, we now, have a phone call, Gary. But okay, you want to go ahead and add? If you no, I was just going to say this Acts two thirty eight is not all the answer either. There are others, but here was a case where people the, asked the, that the direct question. question was asked. The direct question was asked, and they were given a different answer. a different answer. That's what you got to be aware of. So at least acknowledge that the Bible question is asked and give that answer and teach people about what it says. All right. I think we have a phone call. Um, Jerry, are you there? Uh, Yes, Mike. Thank you for taking my call, gentlemen. Uh, I was wondering in Psychology 101, basic psychology, uh, you learn that a masochist is a person that thinks they must be punished, uh, that they must be punished. And I was wondering if the operative word is they, and a person was misconstrued that as other people, uh, would this be wrong? National socialism went wrong. They they thought that the word they meant other people, but it meant it meant you. It, it didn't mean other people. Oh, I see. I uh-huh. want to get your, your opinion on it. I, I understand it's not world religious, but. Uh, if the operative word is they, is that war, uh, 
uh, some person's called wrong. They thought my other people, but it means you. And I would just like to get a, a boastful comment on that. I'd like to listen to all of that. Okay. That, that's great, Jerry. Thank you for calling in. You can. We'll talk with you soon. Well, you know, a masochist it, it is, like he says, a psychological term where there's someone that believes that they should be punished. And I think that, that from what I know about it, and I am certainly, I, I'm not even a biologist, Gary, much less a psychologist, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's famous not to be a biologist these days. But uh, I think that uh, it does mean that a person enjoys being punished, not only that they should be punished, but a masochist is someone who takes pleasure in being hurt. It isn't even the idea of punishment so much as it, Pleasure. What I they take pleasure in pain is kind of an opposite or ironic thing, and I forgot the correct word for that. But they take pleasure in pain, and so uh, they believe in inflicting pain on themselves. And then there is that kind of masochist who gets pleasure in inflicting pain on other people. You think of the stories of the Marquis de Sade, you know, this kind of stuff, where sadism comes from. Uh, the word sadism, you get this idea of he and they enjoy inflicting pain on others. And I think if I understand Jerry's point correctly, I think that that's a distinction you're going to make. It's one thing to uh, inflict pain on yourself. Some people seem to do that, whether on purpose or, uh, or unintentionally. But it's quite another to think that the way that you should get pleasure is to inflict pain on others. You know, and the thing that I think of, maybe it's because of things I spent a, a different amount of time studying over the years and dealing with. I think in terms of sexuality here for a lot of people, not just the broad picture of inflicting pain, there are people that do that. Uh, but two things I want to bring up here about this, and then we'll move on. But one of them is this Eastern, not only the sexual element of masochism, which I want to address, for especially for our young people out there. But secondly, the idea of inflicting pain in the sense of uh, like Hinduism and Buddhism, and particularly Hinduism does, that if a person can learn to walk on a bed of hot coals or lay on a bed of nails, that, that makes them a better person. They can show no response and endure that pain and not show any kind of pathos, emotion, uh, passion about that, that that makes them a better person. There's nothing in Christianity that says that you're a better person if you don't respond to pain christianity is is believe would be more in the idea of being authentic about that when you're in pain you express that pain paul paul talked about the pain and the suffering he had endured in his life and he wasn't saying that he should ignore it altogether and we should learn just to endure it and ignore it we should endure it but we endure it with grace and without revenge or retribution and we also know that in the long run our suffering can be something that helps us and cleanses us and helps us to be have our heart pure. But we don't go around inflicting pain as Christians on other people. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells me that the way that I can help other people is inflicting pain on them, physical pain in particular, and that somehow I'm doing people a favor to make their life miserable or hurt them. And and um, yet in other religions, I'm sure that this is the case. or that Or that we should... As many uh, Christians historically have done, I use the word Christian in quotes, Christians in quotes there, that they believe the way to salvation is to inflict pain on themselves. And so they cut themselves, they live in painful situations, they neglect their body, and somehow they think this is a badge of honor. Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 2 about those who do different painful or humiliating things to the body, and they think that's a badge of righteousness. He says that's not true. That's not a badge of righteousness to inflict pain upon yourself. Well, I think the only <clears throat> the only example that immediately came to my mind was in First Kings 18, Mike, where uh, the prophets of Baal, actually trying to appeal to their God who did not exist, uh, says in First Kings 18, I think it's about verse 27, Elijah says to them, perhaps he's sleeping. And so they took knives and lances and cut themselves until they bled, trying to appeal to their God. Yeah, this is a pagan ritual, if you and and it's practiced in different uh, 
older religions, earth religions, North American Indians, other other pagans, and in Africa practiced by Hindus, inflicting a pain that somehow this is a a religious or righteous thing to do to endure that pain. I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that the world will bring us pain, that we will endure pain, or we will uh, experience pain in life, and we are to take that with grace and not to seek, when we're threatened, we don't threaten back and take revenge. When bad things happen to us, we do not lose our temper and curse and swear against God. Uh, That's not Christian behavior. But it doesn't necessarily make you righteous just because you experience pain. And I think that kind of goes along in a tangential way with the other point I wanted to make. The first thing that came to mind was the idea that that uh, there's a whole association out there. It's always been around, but it seems to be um, it seems to be common today. That is that we, we equate sexual pleasure with pain sadomasochism and i suppose that the two sadomasochism are the two separate words or concepts here that there are people that experience pleasure and in particular heightened sexual pleasure by inflicting pain on others and there are people who experience heightened sexual pleasure by uh, receiving that pain themselves. Yeah, the, the fact that I, I, the definition I ran into formally, a, a person who derives sexual gratification from being subjected to physical pain or humiliation. Yes. Basically, that was the. That's masochism. Or that, that's sadism. That, I think. That, that's a masochist. No, masochist is one who derives it because he's yeah. suffering. The sadist is one who derives it by um, giving it to others. Yeah, by inflicting. So these serial killers who are sexual sadists are the ones that kidnap per, uh, someone and sexually torture them, or torture them just physically, and and they get sexual gratification from watching this person suffer in agony, and the and they have to keep doing this and greater and greater suffering they have to watch. That's a sadist. But the masochist enjoys being the one who is, as it were, in the sadomasochistic bondage situation, the one who's receiving the pain. So, and and to be blunt about it, I I have taught in my classes, I've taught on this in different places, that there there is no place for pain in Christian sexuality. Uh, Pain's a part of human life. It's part part of our lives as Christians. It has, but when you connect it to the to sexual pleasure, you are you are walking into a very into an area of perversion that'll never lead you toward biblical sexuality. Well, it has its purpose in other areas. It can be a warning sign. Well, pain's it a great be, thing. Yeah, it, we couldn't live without pain. There, there's a I can't think of the word for it, Gary. There's a medical condition people can't experience pain. It's a very dangerous medical Me- situation. situation. I mean, even the simplest things like people that have diabetes and they lose feeling in their legs and feet, for example. My father was this way. When his he had had diabetes for a long time, it was under control mostly. But eventually, he lost feeling in his feet and toes. And I took him to the. He kept complaining because his foot was swollen. And when I look at it, I see it wasn't too good a shape. So when he lived with me, I took him to the to the podiatrist. Podiatrist says this nail has to come out, and he takes a big player of pliers and just rips his toenail out there in the wheelchair. And I'm watching, and I say, "Are you going to give him any pain medicine?" He says, "Do you does it look like he needs any pain medicine?" My dad's just sitting there looking around, you know, and I said, he feel no, it. he said he he can't feel anything in his feet anymore. Now, now that's a dangerous situation. situation. He he wore protective shoes for many years because of that situation. So pain has a useful purpose. But when you link up pain and sexual pleasure, I can't tell you anywhere in the Bible where that is done. The, the pleasure that God created. Now, it's not not the devil didn't create, but God created there to be pleasure in sexual activity, and it was to be positive pleasure, not the pleasure of inflicting pain or receiving pain. So when you go walk into this area, what's commonly called BDSM or sadomasochism, I believe as a Christian you're walking into a biblical error, error and you are walking into a sinful area that will lead you nowhere any good at all. And so forth. Now, now, can people have little fantasies about being tied up with, you know, paper strings and all that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not arguing that. But I'm arguing about the actual 
receiving pleasure from inflicting pain or being subjugated. Biblical sexuality is is not about subjugation or dominance. It's about mutuality. In the passage you can read in 1 Corinthians 7 and Proverbs 5 and other places about sexuality is about mutual pleasure for each person, not about inflicting pain. And sexuality is not about your pleasure, but about you giving pleasure to the other person. So there's certain biblical principles that this common, commonly practiced thing you see so often uh, of sadomasochism, BDSM, bondage, dominance, sadism, masochism, that's what BDSM stands for, is not biblical. And I believe a lot of people, and particular young people, are going to be led astray because of, their, because of the influence of pornography in their life. And their, it's, 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 pornography shapes their view of sexuality even the recent book what's 50 shades of gray which is about bdsm and dominance and subjugation and pain and so forth that whole phenomenon that swept across the world was not a reflection of biblical sexuality at all it was against biblical sexuality and involved this idea of of sadism and masochism um it's a dangerous thing to take pleasure in inflicting pain on other people Mike, or it in might, receiving pain. It might pain. be benefit to us to read 1 Corinthians 7. I'd like to read verses for 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through about 5. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over, over her own body, but the husband does. Also, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because because of your lack of self-control. If those verses were obeyed, many marriages would not have the problems they have today. Well, yes, if, that's right. And on many levels, there's so yes, many things in those verses, and the ones that touch on Jerry's question is the idea. You, you don't see any evidence in that of one partner receiving or gi- giving pleasure to the other by inflicting pain. What you see, not you don't see dominance there. You don't see the you, bondage you and see, the dominance. You, mutuality. You mutual equi- equal things. Equality here. of relationships. So the Husband may be the head of the wife, but in the sexual relationship, they are equal, and they are they are to practice that mutuality and equality because they are one. And so uh, that's a uh, that's the biblical view. When, when you go to I mentioned uh, since you read the ver- other verse I mentioned, I didn't I should have read it myself. But in Proverbs chapter five, you have back in the Old Testament even, and I think that let's say if I can say this, the Jews of of the the Bible had a much healthier view of sexuality than Christians who have been influenced by the Catholic Church and by by uh, Protestantism have, because to the to the Christians influenced by Augustine and from onward have a very negative view of sexuality, a very uh, guilt ridden view of sexuality that is not reflected in the Bible at all, and that's why there's so many problems in churches about sexual things. That's another whole 10 shows, Gary, which we could do sometime. But anyway, probably more than 10 Yeah, yeah, that we need to talk about. And we do refer to that from time to time. And I've preached about it here and so forth. But and if you want to know about more about it, get in touch with me and we'll, uh, and we'll talk about it. But here's what Proverbs 5 says. Drink water from your own cistern. Speaking about the marriage and sexual relationship. What verse is that? That's right? I'm sorry. Proverbs 5, verse 15. Okay. Early in this chapter he's warning this young man young people stay away from these uh, prostitutes and easy women stay away they're dangerous to you drink water from your own sister meaning you if you you have a wife you have a way a way to drink water drink water from your own sister and running water from your own well you have a means of satisfaction he he pictures yeah he pictures sexuality as a as a cooling cleansing pleasant fountain should your fountains be dispersed abroad out by fountains in verse 16? I think he means sexual desire, sexual activity. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad in streams of water in the streets? Should you just throw your sexuality out to the streets and, and practice it, spread it around a whole lot of different people? That's what people do. That's what our culture 
teaches them. He says, no, he's saying, no, it's rhetorical. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. And then he says, let your fountain be blessed. He's talking about sexual desire. The Bible's not against sexual desire or sexuality. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. You have a place for this to be satisfied and for you to be blessed. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. So in any way, he goes on a little bit here. So he pictures here a mutual enrapturing uh, uh, of two people involved in sexual love in the Bible and being satisfied with their fountain being blessed here. There's not one hint of dominance and bondage and pain violence and pain, pain or anything in this in this picture. And when you read the Song of Solomon, you see a more poetic picture of this. Nothing like that in these books, uh, in these passages that give you a biblical idea of true sexuality. So when you're when you find yourself being pulled this uh, this way, when you find your desires being corrupted into violence and bondage and dominance, and you have to dominate somebody before you can be sad, you need to pull back and you need to seek help for that because you're going the wrong direction. You're not going to receive the kind of satisfaction that God designed you to receive when you go into satanism and masochism. I think it's also ironic, Gary. You'll hear these feminists say that breasts aren't sexual organs. Well, of course, the Bible says they are. So there you go again. Um, yeah, the breasts are for feeding babies, but they're also sexual organs, according to this passage. Just one point that popped out of my mind. I hear this all the time from feminists. Well, uh, when, anyway. when, when you look at that passage, the, the parallels that are in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, it just, you know, exactly what he He's saying there in a practical fashion. Yes, and and there are other verses. So um, this idea of I, I think there's a little bit of this uh, in in some of this terrorism that we see, some of these attacks on crowds of people or other people. You see it in, expressed individually in these sexual sadists and other kinds of sadists. You see it in the violent video games and all the all of that expressed. I know there's a people worry people are concerned about um, limiting guns and so forth. Of course, we can debate that. But what really what really has always concerned me? I'm going to walk into some controversial territory here. I know it's not like us to do that, but uh, pardon me while I chuckle. Yeah, uh, I, I have been. I'm not one who who is in favor of the proliferation of violent games and movies that young people get raised on. I don't care if you ever become a serial killer or a, or a, what do you call it, a person that goes up, a spree killer goes up and blows things up or shoots a bunch of people at a mall. That's not what I'm talking about. That's part of it. Those people are the manifestation of that. But I don't believe the Bible puts forth the idea that most of us should entertain ourselves and find pleasure in watching other people be tortured and killed and slaughtered or take pleasure in playing a game where I basically kill people all day long and blow them up in blood splatters all over the screen. I cannot bring, I cannot bring myself personally to think that this is the kind of entertainment that God has in mind for Christians in the world. We all see violent things, and it's not going to—it's not not the end of the world to see something violent. And maybe there are some movies and stories. The Bible has a lot of violent stories in it. That's some but, pretty rough. Violent but for stories, me to take right? pleasure in seeing the gore, the violence, the suffering, the torturing—all these mob movies where they got a guy strapped to a chair and they're torturing him, and psychologically and physically torturing him—and we're sitting there t- taking pleasure in this. And if you all these Charles Bronson. Probably telling my age. Charles Bronson movies and all the Steven Seagal movies, where the guy is the lone wolf who's going to go out and straighten up some wrong, and he goes out blowing everything up and killing people and taking pleasure, killing others, bringing the justice, watching them flinch and suffer. This is not Christian. This is a plague on our society, and Hollywood's behind it. And yet they're the same ones that are telling us we got to ban guns when they're the ones putting out all this trash that teach people to use guns wrongly. 
when you were in high school, Gary, they had rifle teams in the high schools, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. we, we had young men and young women too, not many, but young women too, who hunted after, after school. They came to school, parked their pickup truck or their car with their rifle. Which I remember it. seeing this when I was in high school in and, Ohio. And we didn't have this problem. The reason was because the proliferation of all this violent, bloody, revengeful godfather, and, and even they've even corrupted Westerns into being simply a matter of vengeful, violent, angry things. It That's what creates the problem where a person takes the rifle and instead of using it for, for self-defense or peaceful purposes or whatever, they start using it against other people. And they do so indiscriminately. And they ha and even so, even so, even if a person never does that, that's a pretty rare thing statistically. It corrupts the heart of Christians. Those thinking Bronson, in terms of those, violence. Right. Those about Charles everything. Bronson movies you're referring to are the series of Death Wish movies. Well, that may that, be, that, yes. I never watched called. very many of them, very called. much of them. I don't like that kind of stuff. Oh, well, that's just your personal opinion. I, I know it is, but my personal opinion is correct about this. Let's just well, put it that way. Uh, that th I'll, this is not healthy, fair. It's not healthy. Whatsoever is good, pure, true, just, right. That's what Paul says that I'm to focus on. And I'm the first one to complain about the Waltons and all these other kind of shows about how sappy they are, but... I certainly don't have any affinity for for deci deciding I should be entertained by watching other people suffer and die. And then to promote this violent, vengeful anger as a righteous thing, as it's done in all these kinds of shows and movies and video games, is not the right format of things. So the format of mo a lot of these Hollywood movies and you, uh, is basically – some terrible thing happens to a nice man or nice woman in a movie. Law enforcement won't do anything about it. And so this person has to take it into their own hands to go out and get justice and kill people and track them down and torture them, blow things up and so forth. Th what kind of a theme is that for a civilized society? Anyway, you got me ranting, Gary. <laughs> I'm going to blame Jerry this time. But, but this kind of uh, love of violence and gore. It's got nothing to do with gun ownership. And it's well, got the, nothing the, to do with the point that Christianity. All, all, you know, we've always had the guns there, but we haven't always had the violence. That's what I, that's the point I'm trying to make. That, that, we always have had this this driving force behind it of inflicting suffering and of you suffering, and because you suffer, you inflict suffering on others. This whole Hollywood promoted mentality is um, is what's behind so much of this garbage that we see. It's what exists in, in the inner cities, that every little slight has to be met with gunfire and violence. The Bible teaches against that. Well, let, let's in spite read, of the fact that the Bible has a lot of violent stories, it's teaching against that very thing. Let's read Romans 12, 18. I'm going to start with verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men right that's what the bible teaches right. do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath for yes vengeance is mine saith the lord therefore i will repay if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him a drink now so what he can keep coals of fire on his head right well now what it does says it says if possible as much as it depends on you paul leaves it open there, to the fact that it may not always depend on there you. are times when i have to use what we would call violence to to protect myself or my family. There absolutely are. And I have no problem whatsoever with that. That's a different attitude than the idea of someone who's taking pleasure in watching other people suffer or inflicting suffering on them, as done in so many video games, so many movies, so much entertainment that we have around us. It, it isn't the right way to approach life. And it, it, it all stems from this idea of a, an improper view of pain or masochism, or sadism, an improper view of those things. We as people should not, we ought to be concerned about our own heart if we find ourselves taking pleasure in pain, the pain of others. And I'm not sure what the exact psychological term for that is, but in the Bible, that would be a real big red warning flag that when I find that I'm taking pleasure in the suffering of others, um, the word is escaping me now, 
what what it would be in the, from the Bible standpoint, but that would be a red flag that ought to be sending off setting off alarm bells. If I can mix all my metaphors up there, and and uh, this is true in many areas of life, including sexuality. All right, we beat that horse to death. You want to move on, Gary? Well, I'll say one thing. All right, say one more thing. Uh, one more thing. You're talking about the Death Wish movies and Charles Bronson. There is a remake of those, Mike, uh, that's a more modern version. Bruce Willis played in it called Death Wish. That is a much better treatment of the subject, I'll have to admit. I watched that one. And well, it, and it is, uh, I'm not saying it's a sin to watch those kind of movies particularly, but, but if that's what you exist on, that's what gives you – I just think it's something to be concerned about. Then again, I'm – that's probably why, even as a kid, Gary, I wasn't a big fan of westerns because westerns involved everybody getting shot all the time. Uh, but but that may that may just be me. I I don't take any great pleasure in that, and I see it proliferating from the time I've been a kid. This entire attitude and genre of of uh, violence of various sorts, beating people up, leaving them for dead. It's all something that Christians need to. St- walk a different way fill their minds with something a little bit better and so forth and mostly because in the end it doesn't have a point to it when you look in the bible and you see these violent stories they have a point to them there's a point being a moral point is being made And, and yet in so much of the entertainment that we have the only moral point is this guy satisfied his own vengeful lust well it depends on the western people along the way many of the earlier ones that i that i really liked were more oriented around justice and law than they were around just vengeance and and i think that's probably correct here i think Uh, that is correct so and and yet the modern ones are about the modern vengeance and sex that's what they're about everything is more about vengeance and violence today than it was 60 70 years ago when i was growing up so you create us you create a scenario for lots and lots and lots of young people and older people that I've been wronged. I'm living in a world that's done me wrong. Everybody's against me. And so their only last resort that they can think of because they see it in the movies is some kind of violent response to that. And this is this is where so much of what we're seeing is coming from. And it's being perpetrated on us by the very people that say they're so much against guns and want to take the guns away from everybody else. And they're not looking at why people pick up a gun in the first place. And uh, so and, forth. And, and so I'll forth. just say the, the Bruce And I'm not against kids playing with guns. That's all I, my brothers and I did when we grew up. Played, oh, me everything too. was a gun, or st- every stick we picked up was a how gun many, or a how weapon. How many cap pistols did I have? Yeah, I but that, but not, yet none of my brothers and I are violent people of any kind, uh, in any way, have ever been violent people because we were taught that the use of uh, force was to pr- do good, not evil, and not to take vengeance upon the other person. Uh, it's interesting, and I'm going to read one other passage here. It's from Exodus 22, uh, beginning in verse 2. If the thief is found breaking in, and he is struck so that he dies, there is there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Basically, our self-defense laws are patterned on this verse in many ways. So when you start looking at our laws concerning justice, I think there's a lot of people out there, Mike, that will be surprised to find that much of it is found in the Old Testament. Yeah, our, our laws, sure. our founding fathers wrote the laws. They knew what was in the they Old They weren't Testament. just repeating the law. They were getting the principles from the Old, Old Testament, Testament and bringing them right. forward. Exactly. exactly what they did, which is what they should do. So when you hear somebody criticize what the founding fathers wrote about making our law and our system of our legal system of based on law, uh, be careful because it's coming directly from the principles that were given in the Old Testament to the children of Israel and basically told them, you, you, it, the purpose of this is you've got to remove the evil from among Israel. He says in Judges 20, uh, and therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that they may be put, put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. That was the point. We're not, we're not doing that today. Right. We don't kill them. We can put them in prison. They didn't do that then. They didn't have prisons back then. But we then. need to mo- remove those people from among the population. Right. And, and, and it's always amazing when the New York Times, another progressive, they can't seem to correlate imprisoning bad people with crime going down. Yeah, despite record number of people in prisons, crime goes down. 
they can't see the core. That's the headline. They can't see the correlation that it isn't poverty that creates bad things happening to people. Crime. It's criminals that create crime, uh, whether they're rich or poor. And so that's the problem. Well, we got another we got a text. I missed this one from Jason. It's similar. It just goes along with what you're saying. I graduated in 09, which is fairly recently. And we had a rifle time given they were given. They were 177 caliber air rifles and it was called and it was JROTC associated. But it's still a rifle team. Plenty of schools in the state do see. So, you know, there there there's a time and a place that um uh, I'm also going to refer you back to Judges 20. If you read the the whole chapter, it's about a pretty violent event of a concubine that was ravished and, and what Israel did to that. So, uh, you know, you, you just got to realize some of these stories are told for a reason to understand well, that, what morality is. Well, that concubine is. that they killed was cut up in pieces and sent right. all over Israel, right. not because it was a, some kind of a dismemberment sacrifice or something like that it was to it was to shame them it already killed or stirred them up people to do something do something about about these violent people that were living there and to get rid of them uh, and so forth what what chat judges nine did you say uh judges 20 20 i don't know it's beginning at the beginning of the chapter but it goes all the way through about right verses 20 or 30 and 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 they they got rid of a whole bunch of violent people when they did that if somebody's texting, well, how about Rambo and movies like that? Well, I think I, I watched some of those, but I saw some parts of them. It's the same basic theme um, and so forth. And um, I, I don't know. I, I just think Christians should be cautious about being enamored with that kind of entertainment. It's one thing to watch a little bit of it, but to be enamored of it all and to think they should support that lifestyle – of the violent loner who's going to take on every evil. No one's ever going to touch me. You can't ever touch me. I'll, you know, that's the, that's the attitude that Lamech had back in the beginning, that ick, wicked man early in the book of Genesis. Somebody touched him and he killed him for it. This is the attitude we have today in our uh, country. Well, anyway, uh, agree or disagree, I don't, you, you can call in 772 three four zero fifteen ninety if you disagree is particularly call in if you disagree. We maybe do, maybe we, maybe there's a different perspective on this that I'm missing. We can Seven, do two more shows on defense and law and justice and these things, but that that Romans verse that I read is really the boiling of it all, all down to what we really need to see. Basically that verse uh, I think let me go back and make sure Romans uh eighteen and following. Romans seventeen and following. Uh, that verse to me boils everything down to how we should try to live. Right. Talking about repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That sums it up. Mm -hmm. That's right. John text in, the Romans kept people happy by giving out bread and fights in the Colosseum with the bread and circuses. Yes, and that they were violent to the extreme, and um, I read something. I saw something the other day, Gary. Did you and, know? And they didn't play to the, that. Wasn't a Christian audience that they had. <laughs> no, they they were just trying to pacify some of the people. I got you know, people are criticizing this. I got to give it a thumbs up. But I read a post the other day from somewhere on Nextdoor app or something. That restaurant in Stewart, the Thirsty Turtle. I'm going to give him a plug. Apparently, the guy who owns it monitors what's shown on their TVs. They have you know all these big screen TVs. There. It's a sports place, too. Mm-hmm. Good wings, good food. But anyway, and they were watching. They had these UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, mixed martial arts show uh, being played there. And, and he called in and told the waiters, go turn those off. I don't allow those, that in my establishment. Because he doesn't believe in promoting that kind of raw, violent sport among people. And people were complaining about that. Um, they were more concerned that he knew about it from home. He was doing, calling it from home and saying, I can monitor the TV, what's on the TVs in my house, and I don't want, like that. Go over the table and tell those people to change the channel. So the waitress went over and changed the channel on these people, and they got all mad about it, you know. Um, but – He's just making a statement as an owner of a business. I'm not going to promote 
that kind of violent sport in my establishment. He has every right to do that, and maybe he's got a good point. Some of those sports are sportsmanlike, and some of them are just about raw physical brutality. <sighs> what can I say? This just does not seem to be the direction a person with Christian character should be going. Well, raw physical brutality against other people for sport. It's almost worse that it's for sport than if it was just the fact that this person is. You tell me a man got in a violent fight sometime because he was defending himself and proved to be a very violent fighter. That wouldn't bother me as much as if you said he likes to do it for fun. He likes to go beat people up for fun and money. That worries me more, Gary. I, I could be wrong. You may disagree, but it worries well, me more. Well, see, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to say something about this this Bruce Willis. It is the Bruce Willis movie, not the Charles Bronson movies of Death Wish. It is a much better treatment of the circumstances that drove a man to do these sort of things and the result that it had on his life. And um, basically how he basically came out. So you're saying it was a morality play. It was a morality play more than anything else, more than violence. Though I'll have to admit, uh, he, he committed four first-degree murders in that show. Oh, yeah, that's, that's nothing to be sneezed at, of course. Right. But but I I'm simp I'm not saying that all portrayals of violence are bad. I'm to, or, or all stories are equal. But I am saying we need some discernment as Christians about the direction of our heart in these matters and take a look at those things to see what it is. And when you when you're the kind of person now you can't seem to find uh, sexual pleasure except through masochism or bondage or sadism. You need to take a look at that. There's something amiss there from the Bible standpoint. And it's not something that you can't correct, something you can correct, something you ought to be aware of. You know, the Bible pictures all these behaviors and attitudes. They, they, they start off slow, and they get become ingrained in us, and they become accentuated. And then we throw up our hands and say, well, it's just me. I just born that way, or I can't help it. No, they started off somewhere, and you let, the, you let it grow. And I'm just trying to make that point here well, about this. Well, one thing about that movie is that it, it shows you what it can lead to if you let yourself go. Yeah, and that's it, the point I'm making. That, yes. That's the whole that's point. It shows you what, right. what, what it can lead to if you let yourself go or let yourself be immersed in this sort of thing. And so I, I think there's some benefit to it. Uh, I, I'm uh, kind of looking at the law from it. I, I was counting the number of murders and the number of defenses and <laughs> the oh, number man. of the n number of manslaughter you accounts counting that he would have murders. had. You're right. It's 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 basically looking at it in terms of the law. What would the law do do to him? You start counting the number of murders, acts of fornication, adultery, uh, all of these kind of things in these movies and you'll be astonished. Oh yeah. At, at the number and that we just let it go right on past our mind as if nothing's happening. That kind of that kind of desensitization is uh, and, and not other, good. And the other question is what would I do as a Christian in that situation? What should I do as a Christian in that situation? That's a that's a nice exercise to see what 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 should have been done as opposed to not what was yeah. done. Well, we sorry, have, sorry about we that. We have that a was, hint. We have a hint about taking vengeance and things like that yeah. in the Book of Romans. It is more than a hint. It's a command. It's a command. And, and and so for Christians to go and indulge themselves in this kind of fantasy that they can just take whatever kind of vengeance they want because they've been wronged, that's what's partly wrong with our society, and the brutality that's expressed there. It doesn't matter if it's how you take the vengeance, but anyway. Here's something so, that's related, so, but if you want to move on. Get, so, so we shot most of the show that way. I'm sorry about that. I, I, I didn't think it would. But, you know, I guess I'm the one that walked off onto the sadomasochism thing in different areas. And you see it expressed in vengeance everywhere. Anyway, Christians should be careful about that. And I can give we could go and give you some more scriptures. Here's an article I saw that I want to throw out this little odd warning, Gary. Having more than one child can harm your mental health, study says. <laughs> this is from May. Research, researchers surveyed parental burnout across the globe and found American parents among the most exhausted. It's from the University of Louvain in Belgium. And um, 
Having more than one child can affect your parents' mental health. According to the study published in the Journal of Demography in April, they found a correlation between the number of children the parents have and the decline of their late life, late life cognition. The results indicate that having three or more children versus two children has a negative effect on the late life cognition. So here I'm sitting here with five. Gary has three. So we're both apparently declining in late life in our cognition. Pretty much. Just think how smart I was before, Gary, how smart you were. Imagine <laughs> that. That's what I that's what I take away from that. Anyway, uh, with a smile on my face. It's more common in Nordic regions. But now, now I want you to think about this for a minute. But this is all interesting. Uh, parents are under stress. Somehow I don't think stress leads to stress itself is not necessarily a bad thing or a sin or anything like that. And you know what? Most stress is simply between your ears. Uh, I, I got a lot of pushback on this recently. I've been doing a little bit of thinking about this idea of stress. I don't want to get into that right now, but stress is an overrated excuse for us to behave badly in our society. Okay? It's an overrated excuse because it's not a biblical excuse for me to behave badly, for me to shirk my responsibilities, and for me not to do what I need to do. And I, it's just, you know what stress is, Gary, for most people, for, for the most of what I see, what, what people call stress. Now, Brace yourself. What most people call stress today is just basically life. It's just living a normal life. You have to get up early. There's traffic. You have to go to work. Your boss isn't very nice. A lot of responsibilities. You can't finish them all. People don't like what you're doing. They like what you're doing. You have a hard time getting home. You have things going on at home that you can't control while you're gone. Your children do this. They do that. They have problems. This is life. That's what life is. And we're complaining about we have this picture in America that nothing like that's supposed to happen. I'm not sure where I think they get it from Hollywood again in TV shows. But but this is life for the most part. Now, then there are stressful situations. So, well, I think it's more worrying about send all your negative comments on that comment there to Gary, please. Well, it's more like worrying about that. You're not going to get your way. Things are not going to work out the way I want. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we mean by having a bad day. Things yeah. can go perfectly in my favor at every exactly. turn. So that's what that's what uh, a lot of stress. But is. anyway, now there's some legitimate stress. Obviously, I'm not saying that, and I, I just think I need I just think I need a better scriptural definition of the idea of stress and stress and, and how I'm supposed to react to it. I'm working on that. I've been I've been doing some thinking about that and and reading. So maybe I can come up with something here. One of these days, if my, well, if my, since I got five kids, I doubt if I'll ever be able to come up with anything cognitive about it because you know my brain is fried from having five kids and twenty grandkids. I don't need they even put that in there. And six <laughs> of them living with you. I mean, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm 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 shot apparently. But the point I'm making is this. Here's the point I want to make. You'll love this. I'm not as concerned about the stress and all that and mental health. I'm concerned about who gets to define mental health. Who oh, is yes. it? Oh, yes. Who is it? I know where this is for going. Christians. For Christians, we should be extremely cautious about reading these stories about what causes poor mental health and what they define as poor mental health is as Christians. Oh, you're crazy, Mike. I know. I, I told you I got five kids. My brain is burned out. But I want you to think about this anyway. Who's defining what mental health is? And this is true in the gun debate. It's true in religious debates, all these debates. According to the New York Times from a few years ago, people who believe in the resurrection are mentally ill. They are, I can go get back in my computer in a couple of minutes. I, I didn't pull it out, but I could find the article where basically people that believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible are dangerous, quote, their quotes, and mentally ill. And this is where is, our society is today. And yet that is the very foundation of Christianity, and people well, don't of course, realize that. Of course, and, and that's the whole point I'm making, is that, is that it depends on who's defining them. So we, uh, I find it ironic that if, you're, if you get into these kind of things, that conservatives want more mental health testing to buy a gun or do this or do that. And I keep thinking, what's wrong with you people? That, this is political. I'm, I'm just making. I'm not making a Bible point. I'm making. What's wrong with you people? Who do you think is going to define what mental health is? So now in in New York, I think it is, or was it Massachusetts? Before you can get a gun permit, they want to read your Facebook and Twitter accounts 
and double check all the things you posted on your social media so they can decide if you're mentally fit to have a gun. Once again, who gets to decide what good mental health is? And once they decide that a person who believes in the resurrection or believes or, or believes in biblical morality, they, they're going to define it's coming real soon. People who disagree with the transgender agenda ideology and with the gay rights agenda are going to be considered mentally ill, mentally unstable in society. So everything you mark my words on that. That's where this is going. And so if they can show that parents, because of stress, are mentally ill, what they're going to say is, well, we need more government programs to relieve this mental illness, and we need more government control, and then we can define that these people are not mentally ill. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't like the way this is going. I don't like the idea. I think it's. I think some of these studies they may represent something that's true. Of course, people who have raised a bunch of kids are have got different life experiences. But who's defining the mental illness in these people? That's the question. And this study that I, and of course, I didn't read the actual scientific paper, reading a popular account of it. Most of these kinds of studies leave those kinds of questions undefined. And even if you go look up the scientific study, it's a sociological study, actually, not scientific. And I just made a big point there that sociology may not be science, but that's another whole issue. Um, You find that they don't define these terms very well. And it's almost always then going to be defined from a Marxist or progressive definition. That would always put Christians in a Bible-believing Christians, I should say, in a bad light. So beware when you read these things, and think about who's defining these terms for you uh, when you decide what you're going to do. Of course, that's true. Well, it goes back to the fact that uh, Congress is not making clear laws; they are giving that authority over to the bureaucrats. In whatever. Who always graduate from the same progressive institutions, right. anti-biblical institutions. And you know what's, what's really interesting? Here's a show of Judy and I watch these European Acorn Britbox TV mysteries, you know, on TV. Uh, they're in, I'll give you my reason some other time. But there's a show we've been watching, and, and there's this uh, real uh, sophisticated female detective, the feminist detective. And she's, she's, she's a widow. So she's struggling with the fact that her husband was killed. And so her her protege mentions something about an after the afterlife. She goes, you don't believe in that, do you? She goes, well, why don't you believe in the resurrection? She goes, no, it's I, I'm a, I'm a rational person. I believe in rational things. So the detective says the resurrection is not rational. In other words, I can't quantify it by physical evidence, you see. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking, and this is left of, oh, this is the statement of great, and this is the way this show approaches. Every religious person is the one who probably, you see a religious character in these British shows or European shows, they did it, okay? They're the culprit. But anyway, uh, I'm thinking, so what about your love for your husband? Is your love for your husband rational or irrational? All this grief you've been experiencing because your husband died, is that something you can scientifically quantify uh, and explain by sci- on a scientific basis, or, or is that something spiritual and irrational on your part? See, they never ask this kind of question, Gary, because the liberals defining these things don't get don't go there. All right, well, we got about a minute left. So we're out wrap of time. it up. Yeah. The very basis for Christianity is found stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. And ending about verse 19, I don't have time to read it all, but please, if you're out there listening to us, write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19, this is the basis for all Christianity. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it is in direct opposition to this idea that you're not rational if you believe in this. Right. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's the, and that's the. That's the point that I'm trying to make is who gets to define these terms. Thanks for listening today to the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, before we go today, I want to remind you of a couple of things. I want to remind you about our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. You'll find lots of information about the church. You'll find 
archives of the sermons that have been preached here that you can search by subject going back many years. You'll find recordings of these radio shows going back many years. You can kind of search the topics on those for the most part. You can get them as a podcast there, or you can listen to them online. You can do lots of things on the website, wearejustchristians.com. We'd like to ask you, invite you to come and worship with us. See for yourself. Come to 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. We'd be glad to have you at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday night. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you until next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL 103.5.